Well, good morning. Um, I don't know if the bulletin says who was supposed to be preaching, but we are not going to be in Philippians 2 today. Um, Christoph was uh, going to be preaching this morning, but um, the flu kind of ravaged his house. And so yesterday he, he tapped out and I tapped in. So, um, so if you are new here with us, then know that I am the substitute today. So um, if you don't like it, then you can just know that I was the substitute. Um, and if you, uh, if you do, if it is encouraging to you, then we'll see if I can maybe preach more. So we'll see um, how that works. Um, so, New Year's Day, huh? So, like, welcome to everybody that got here this morning. I was walking around and everyone that I talked to this morning said, oh, I didn't make it to midnight. I was like, you know, 9.30 or 10. And it finally dawned on me of, that's why you're here, right? <laughs> So all the people who made it to midnight are watching at home, hopefully. So hi, everybody that made it to midnight. And um, we don't do that. That is just utter nonsense to us um, in our household. In fact, our kids don't even know that midnight exists. Um, and so uh, we, have, we have a long-running tradition in our home that we ring in the new year with the South Sandwich Islands. So um, you can look that up but it hits about eight o'clock. When we were in Colorado, it's seven o'clock um, local time. And so that's just perfect for us to celebrate uh, the new year. So um, I think I might retire to the South Sandwich Islands because that is, that is my timeline right there. So that is what we, that's what we did. Um, and, and really, as we talk about New Year's, when I thought about, okay, well, what, what could I offer that would maybe be helpful um, this morning? And, and obviously, this is the time that we often talk about um, new beginnings, new uh, resolutions, new, new rhythms, new things that we want to do. Um, we've kind of come off of the busyness of the Christmas season. Um, and what I thought would be helpful was I just thought, man, what would it look like We've tried this a few years um, and, and seen God do some really incredible things. And so I thought, what would it, what would it look like if we um, tried together as a church to start um, a new rhythm together that all of us would, would, try, um, would try to do? And so I want to see if this year we would be able to, together, to do one of the oldest and sweetest traditions, especially in the evangelical church over the years, which is the daily quiet time. Okay? Now, when I say that, that conjures up all kinds of things in our minds, right? When we think of a, a daily quiet time, some of you may not even know what that is, and so we're going to talk about what that is and what it looks like. But for others, um, it can conjure up really sweet memories and something that just is, is um, encouraging and just kind of warms your heart. And for others, it brings up feelings of guilt and, and thoughts of like, well, oh gosh, like I know, all right, here's a sermon um, that's just going to like guilt me into this and it's probably going to work for a few days. And if you know anything about me, you know that I'm not, I'm not very good at that kind of stuff, but I am, I'm going to like try to present and paint a picture of what this is and, and why I think it, we're so, um, why we struggle so much and what the, the blessing um, of it is. You know, I experienced for a long time when I first came to Christ, that was like one of the first things that typically has been taught to people when they first come to Christ is how, how to have a daily time with the Lord. And usually it kind of has the elements of two main elements of reading the Bible and praying. 
And so for me, for a long time, my experience with like a daily time with God was, was limited essentially to um, read a chapter of Scripture with, with the hope of, of under, understanding it or experiencing some kind of a, epiphany and then getting through my prayer list. And that was it. And then I would feel guilty when I would miss. I'd feel guilty when I didn't feel like I was focused. I'd feel guilty when I was maybe too focused. I'd feel guilty like all, it was basically just conjuring up this list of, okay, I know I'm supposed to do this. And, um, and then feeling like this guilt if I didn't do it, all, all associated around it. The funny thing was, is outside of that time, I had wonderful experiences with God. Outside of that time, I would read the Bible, if I'd read the Bible to prepare something or whatever, or I would, I would pray with people, or I would pray um, like when things would happen in my life, or I'd pray like as I was driving, or any of these things, I would have these very sweet times with God, and I wonder, why do I not have that in the one time of the day that I'm like setting aside to have that? And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that is um, completely foreign to you, or maybe you can relate a little bit to that. I think the most, the thing is that it is ultimately, if you know, if, if you've been taught to have a daily time with the Lord, that it is something that we all know that we should do, but we just don't feel like we do it right or enough. And often, the, the objection that I get is that we just don't have the time to do it well. And Sometimes it's we don't have the time to do it at all, but often like I would fall in the trap of being like, well, I would think if I don't have like two hours of uninterrupted time to devote to this, then I'm just not going to do it justice. And so I'd feel guilty. I would actually feel guilty. I'd feel more guilty getting up and spending 10 minutes of time with the Lord than getting up and determining that 10 minutes was not a worthy amount of time, so spending zero time with the Lord. Does that make sense? Does anybody, does anybody relate to that at all? Like you get up and you're kind of rushed and you feel like, well, I'm too rushed right now. I only have like five minutes. And so it's better to spend zero minutes with God than five. That doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit. That sounds like someone else's voice in our heads, right? And so I want to just in, encourage us with that. Like this idea, especially when it comes to time, because I know we have a lot of different life stages represented here. I, I do want to set out even at the beginning with, with something really practical, which is it doesn't have to take a set amount of time. There's no set amount of time that is required or that God asks for. When Jesus withdraws, we don't ever really know. It's very vague about the time, and it is different amounts of time. But secondly, what I want to say, if you ever feel this objection in your heart of like, I just don't have time to do that, I would say it's because you don't have time that you have to make time, right? We know that inherently in our, in our minds. Jesus, this, Luke, in Luke 5, we see this about Jesus. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So it was when the ministry of Jesus really picked up and when things started to get really chaotic and really hectic and now all of a sudden more and more people were coming to him to be healed, more and more people were coming to hear what he had to say, that it was then that Jesus, and, and, and uh, Luke says, in contrast, like, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. 
At the time when the disciples and others would have said, you don't have time to do that right now, Jesus would say, that's exactly why I need to do this right now. And so one thing for us is just getting our minds centered around the idea that communing with God is critically important. It doesn't matter what else is going on in our lives. Like we have to figure out a way to say, you know what? I need to be connected to him in a, in a healthy, consistent rhythm. And if you understand that, if you think about that, right now I could end this sermon and several of you would be happy and others of you would go and you'd say, okay, you're right. I do need, like Jesus withdrew, so I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to do that. And I would give it three days. If you are not consistently in that habit right now, I'd give you three days. And then it would fall apart. And so one is to know like what the importance of it, but also to know like what it is and what the goal actually is. See, it's not, a quiet time is not a daily appointment with God. That always drive me crazy. I would like one of the great guilt trips, quiet times have like the best guilt trips ever. They're like right next to going to church. So there are lots of guilt trips about going to church. There are lots of guilt trips about quiet times. And my favorite one, and maybe I've shared this before, my favorite one I ever heard was that when people were, when kids were taught that um, you had an appointment with Jesus on the couch this morning. You left him sitting there. You stood him up. You left him sitting on your couch this morning. I'm like, that's horrible and theologically completely inaccurate. Like, what in the world? Like, why? Like, this feeling of, like, well, Jesus died for you. The least you could do is get up 15 minutes early and, and read the Bible, right? And pray through your prayer list. So it's not, it's not this daily appointment with God. God is always with you, right? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. The quiet time is not the time where you go to meet with God, and then the rest of the day you go on about your life. It's also not a quiet moment of reflection to center yourself, that's often what it gets pointed of like, okay, it's just, those are good. Like, by all means, take a quiet moment to like kind of remind yourself and center yourself. That's not the primary focus of a quiet time. And it's also not a checklist of works to get through so that God will be nice to you that day. You ever felt that way? You feel like, oh, I had my quiet time this morning and so now everything's going great today. Or when things go badly, like, well, I didn't have my quiet time. What do I expect? There can be some connections, certainly with our hearts in that, but God is not sitting there going like, well, if you would have had your quiet time today, then wouldn't have had that happen. Like, he doesn't do that. He doesn't function that way, right? So it's not those things. But what is it? It's really one thing. It is a consistent, steady time to commune with the Lord. Like commune, that word. Like communion. We do this every week because it is a regular rhythm that we are to be in together to remind one another, to remember, to commune, to meet with one another around the, resur- the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, right? So we remind ourselves. We have the regular rhythm of worship when we sing and glorify God and praise God for the resurrection. Well, a daily quiet time is a daily rhythm to sit with your Father, to just commune with Jesus, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to connect with him in an intentional way. And this is important, because this is the key, I think, to where things often go sideways for us. 
that if we, in our quiet time, prioritize communing with God over understanding the text, over getting through our prayer list, and the reason we want to prioritize that is because it's out of that relationship that we can understand the text. It's out of that relationship that we can have confidence to make our requests known to God. Does that make sense? It's a time to commune with him. It's a regular rhythm of that. They're, these are important. I have a, uh, Lauren and I, my wife and I, have a regular rhythm of um, having coffee together in the morning. Right? And we, we enjoy that. One of us might enjoy it more than the other one. But we, we enjoy it. And the primary focus of that time of coffee is not, it's not getting on the same page for the day. That's not the primary focus. Sometimes that happens, but it's not the primary focus. It isn't, it isn't a time that where the point is for me to frustrate Lauren with some like big random dream about what could life could look like five years from now or ten years from now. Okay, That definitely does happen, but that is not the primary focus. It's also not the time for Lauren to tell me all the specific things that we have to get done today and that need to be done right now. That does happen often, but it's not the primary focus. The primary focus is for us to just stop and be together, whether it's for five minutes or an hour or whatever it is, to just connect and to be together. And when we take those other expectations off it, it actually gives freedom to that experience. And if it's true with coffee between two broken, sinful human beings who have all kinds of other things going on in their, their minds and all kinds of other expectations, how much sweeter is that time with the God of the universe who created you, who is never in a hurry, and who sees you and loves you and knows you? It's an incredible gift. It's meant to be that time that's set aside to reorient yourself around your identity in the one who loves you and gave himself up for you. And that affects everything. It affects how we read the Bible in that time. It affects how we pray during that time. And it even affects how we live in community through the rest of the day. And I just want to quickly address those and then give you a practical tip and send you on your way. It changes the way we read the Bible. Here's the difficult situation we find ourselves in currently in our culture. And I was going to give you a whole bunch of statistics. I'm happy to send you the studies. There are several studies out there that will, um, uh, show all kinds of horrifying things about what the, what the evangelical church believes overall. Um, but here's the bottom line that I see consistently. That biblical literacy and familiarity with the scriptures is at an all-time low in the evangelical church, right? Like in churches like ours, like we just don't spend much time in the Bible. It's interesting that the more resources that we have, the less time we as a culture and as a society spend in the Bible. And when I say culture or society, I'm talking about in churches. So we, have, we are inundated with all these other resources, of like you, can, you can order a book and have it there. It can be the most random book. You can have it at your house within two days, right? You can, you can find anything online. You could listen to 12 different sermons today. Whatever text I preach on, you could go home and listen to a dozen other preachers preach on that same text right here, right today. 
And what has happened is as we have had all those options and all those choices and all those things, we have lost sight of the very basic truth that in God's word, we have God's very voice, the authority of his word given to us, revealing himself to us. Often when I ask people, why, if I ask them, like, hey, how do you feel about your Bible reading? I never, like, almost always I get, I wish I should read more. And when I ask, well, why don't you read more? The, the answer typically is because I, I can't understand it as easily as when someone else explains it. You been there? You read it and you think, like, oh, I just don't know. Then you hear a sermon on it and you think, wow, I, that's, see, that's why I'm just not very good at reading the Bible. Like, you read the Bible, and you can, like, teach all these things. And, and like, I read it, and I'm just not sure what it says. So I'm just going to rely on that, on that sermon or that devotion or that commentary or that book. But there's a problem with that. And the Bible, listen, I, I do need to do a disclaimer here because I know I'm going to get comments and emails and, like, other conversations are going to happen. I am not saying that books and sermons and, and devotionals are bad. I'm not saying that. The Bible talks a lot about the importance of sound doctrine and sound teaching. Like it is critical that we are equipped to be able to teach and to help us as a church family understand what God's word says. So I'm not, I'm not saying that. I even have in bold, in all caps with exclamation points, make sure this is understood, okay? Jay is not saying that sermons and, and devotions and all that, like don't go home and burn all your devotionals and all of your other things. Like that's not what I'm saying. The problem comes when we substitute all of those things for God's word. That's, that's what I'm just trying to push back a little bit and say, hey, what would it look like to rediscover the beauty and the simplicity of making sure we are immersed in God's actual word see we we do that we tend to so quickly go to those other things because we think the most important thing when we're reading this is to fully understand it that's something that's going to require explanation but hang in there with me we think when we come there the main point so remember i talked about quiet like time with coffee with my wife that you know we'd say well yeah get on the same page together but there's a difference between that being the main focus and the fruit of what happens when we're together. And so understanding, when we make that the main focus, then when we read a passage that we don't fully understand or we're confused by, then our first thought goes to, well, I need to find someone who can explain this. And so I might Google it. Or I might find a, a sermon or find a commentary or go straight to the, the notes that are in there. Like I get the study Bible that has the most non-biblical text in it that I possibly can so they can just tell me what it means because that just makes so much more sense to me. It's kind of like, remember in, in math class in high school, Robbie always told me never, don't stop using math illustrations, um, but Robbie's not here, so he doesn't know. All right. <laughs> so um, get ready for a lot of math illustrations What's going to happen. Um, so remember in math class, all the odd answers are in the back of the book, right? And if the teacher gave you, out of the kindness of their heart, gave you all the odd problems to do, what would you do? Go right in the back of the book, right? And we do that with the Bible. And when you treat the Bible like a math textbook, 
bad things happen. In fact, Scripture says two things specifically happen. There's probably more, but there are two specific things. One is, when you treat the Bible like that, to just, I got to go and find out, okay, well, just tell me in plain words what this means so I just know what it means and go on from that. Then number one, you miss Jesus. Quote this all the time, but it's so critical. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So when you treat the Bible like some textbook that I just come to to try to understand, apart from understanding that I'm actually hearing the words of God and communing with him, then number one, you miss Jesus. Can we all agree that's a big, that's a big problem? Yeah. I mean, it's good. We all, we all agree on that. And second, you become a hypocrite. Jesus said, For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Which, we don't have time to go into what all he's talking about there, but he's basically saying this was what the law was. Now you've reinterpreted it as this other thing. And he says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what happens when we look at this book and we come to it and we say, okay, well, I just, I gotta, I gotta know everything about what this means. And so my very first thing is I'm gonna just go phone a friend, I'm gonna ask for help. When you do that, you're boiling this book down to just text that is meant to just be understood. And if you do that, you'll end up like the Pharisees where you will miss Jesus and you'll become a hypocrite. You end up studying the law and missing Jesus and then you speak maybe right things, maybe even truthful things, but your heart will end up far from him. That's what happens when we treat it as a law to be dissected and followed or principles to be understood, which you hear this from us all the time. But in our quiet times, time where you're saying, like, I'm going to commune with God, you can actually be pulled away from the heart of God. So what if the aim wasn't primarily just to understand the text? When you read your Bible and you sit down there in, in the morning, what, what if it was to hear from God, to interact with him, to hear his very words? And what if out of that intimacy came wisdom and understanding. So there's a difference. Reading someone's interpretation of the scriptures is not the same thing as the very word of God. If you don't believe me, you're probably following along well, but believe Paul. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what's Paul saying here? It's like, how could you possibly understand this without God's Spirit? How could you possibly make sense of this? How could you possibly know the mind of God without the Spirit of God? And if that's the case, then why would you try to pursue understanding or wisdom apart from it? Why would you try to interpret spiritual truths to anything outside of the Spirit? And so that's why communing with God, like coming to Scripture first and foremost to say, I'm just going to hear like sometimes I think of it like when my children were little and I would talk to them. Have you ever seen like the um, like videos or have you ever did this with your kid where you have like a, one of my favorite things was to have random conversations with my kids that were way above their pay grade. So I would talk to my kids about the socio-political climate like when they're, you know, a year, year and a half old. And they, what do they do? Like they don't go, oh, tell me more about what you mean about that father. No, they babble back, Right when they're like a year old or eight months old or nine months old, they battle, they participate with you. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So what are your thoughts on this upcoming election? Oh, blah, blah, and they'll babble back. And I often think of that and saying, that's kind of like when God is speaking his word to me. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna, I don't fully grasp all this, God, but I'm just gonna kind of babble back some of this to you and I'm just gonna talk to you because I'm participating with you. Why do kids do that? Because they wanna connect with their mom and dad. They wanna participate with them. They aren't all upset and frustrated because they don't understand what you're saying. They just want to be with you. And there is an element of that. Am I saying that's all the time and everything in Scripture? No, but I am saying that that is an element that we often lose sight of. It's the peace that we forget a lot of times. That sometimes Scripture is given to you so that you won't understand. Jesus said that about parables. So you, why? So that we would seek him. So that we would wrestle with him. So we would pray. So we would express our frustrations and our lack of understanding. So that the Spirit would give us wisdom and understanding. And we wouldn't water it down to where it makes sense just in human mind. Because let me just tell you this. If you or me or anyone else understands this Bible completely and looks at it and says, I understand every verse in this book. Well then, guess what? They have simplified it and watered it down to the things of men, not the things of God. Because how can you understand the mind of God without the Spirit of God? Just imagine you did that. So I, I used this illustration um, a couple, few years ago, I think, at one of our conferences. But think about, like, in the morning, if you're sitting there and you're reading the Bible, and you get to a passage and you just say, I, man, I just, I don't understand this. Like I said, our instinct is often to Google it. We either Google it or just forget about it, right? I guess I, I missed that whole part of it. There's a whole crew in here that's like, I don't Google it. I just move on. Like, whatever. Okay, so let's pretend we don't do either of those things. We don't quickly Google it just so I can get the answer, and we don't just forget about it. We actually stew on it. So you read the passage, and you think, like, I don't, what does this mean? What does it mean that I'm supposed to hate my mother and my father? Didn't you say to honor your mother and father? Like, what does that, what does that mean? And so then you wrestle with it. And you, as you're sitting there, you pray about it. You say, God, I don't understand what this means. I want to go to you. Holy Spirit, teach me. Show me what this means. And he doesn't tell you what it means. 
And you sit there and you're frustrated and you, you walk away from it and you just think like, man, I just, like it's just rattling around your brain. And so you, you go to work that day and you're thinking about it and there's another Christian that you work with and you say, hey, have you ever, have you ever read this passage? Like, have you, do you know what, like, have you thought about what that means? And, and they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that means either. And like, oh, you don't, you don't know either. Like, I still can't figure this out. And so we just keep wrestling with it. And you're, as you're driving to and from work and your errands and everything, it's just rattling around your brain. Like, what does that mean, God? Like, what do you mean by that? And then you, you end up calling out of frustration. You, like, you even um, shoot off an email to me or text me and like, hey, what does this mean? And I don't respond to you. And so you're like, now you're really frustrated. You know, who knows what I'm doing? Like, I'm probably just sitting around like doing whatever. Like, you know, playing Xbox, which I totally am. Um, but like, you just get so frustrated. And so then like, at the end of the day, you're still, so then you talk to your spouse and you're like, man, I was reading this. It's just been on my head the entire day and I still can't figure out what this means. And then you go to bed and you're praying and you're saying, God, you, you, you fall asleep just like crying out to God saying, God, you told me to ask you for wisdom and I still don't know what this means. And you fall asleep. And think about what happened in that day. You dug into God's word. You meditated on his word through the entire day. You connected with other people in the community and in your church over God's word. You prayed and cried out to God around his word. And you fell asleep crying out to God to help you understand his word. And you and I would think, if, if understanding is our aim, that that was a total failure. And I do believe the Holy Spirit would say, that's exactly what it was supposed to accomplish. So we get to that place where we say the wrestling is in the beauty of that. And then, then at that point, we go part of the, the whole, where, where do you like devotions and other things fit into it? That's like part of the larger church community. And so I, I see those a lot as asking a brother or sister about like, well, what do, you, what do you think about this? And so there is great things in that. There's beauty in that. But I just encourage you, like don't shortcut past the wrestling with God and listening to the Holy Spirit to see what he does through that. There's so many things that I could say about that of, of what it does, but one of the sweetest things that it does is it will grow your confidence in the actual word of God, right? Like it'll, as you wrestle with these things and the Holy Spirit gives you understanding and then as those other things become supplemental and helping you hear the voice of God, it will, it will grow your confidence and your love for his word because it draws you closer to him. And that is a big difference between just understanding the text and saying like, okay, well, I love reading the Bible because I always understand it. How much better to say I love reading the Bible because in it I hear God's very words and I get to commune with him and listen to him. It also will change how you pray. If you are thinking, if my main focus is to commune with him, then I want to I pray then not just by talking, but by listening. So as you're reading scripture, you're praying and listening because you're listening to the very words of God. The Holy Spirit is communicating that to you. That's why it's living and active. But then after reading scripture, to pray by listening. 
I, I, this is what I try to get in a habit of doing. Like you, you literally just listen to the words of God, so then let that soak in and listen for the Spirit to communicate and to preach to you in that moment. Let it soak in. Often this is called meditation, but I just, I just call it listening. Just listen to the Spirit to unpack those things, to, to apply them. I try to sit in silence and just let those words ring in my head and my heart and, and just ask the Holy Spirit, say, okay, what does this say about God? Why is this good news? What would it look like if I actually believed this? And I try to listen before I speak. Meaning I, I pause before I, my brain just goes down the trail of like, okay, well, this is what this means and this is what it looks like. I just want to stop and slow down and listen. And often something will pop into my head that, that I wouldn't have thought of on my own, either an insight into the word or a, con- a connection that I hadn't seen or conviction from the Holy Spirit in a way that I didn't realize that I was, I was blind to sin in my heart. And that's what David is, is doing in Psalm 139. When he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So often what happens is not only when we're reading scripture, when we're having these quiet times with God, we go to scripture and say, well, the main thing is to understand it in our, in our own human ways. And then when I get to my prayer time, it's to tell God what he needs to hear rather than listening to what I need to hear. Because I often look at it, I might read something in scripture about like pride and be like, oh, you know what, I feel like I'm pretty good in that area or caring for the poor. Like, oh, no, no, I go, I go do that. And we immediately move past that and we don't listen and we don't say to the Holy Spirit, search me. I know that on the surface I look at this passage and I think that I obey this, I think that I follow this, I think that I believe this, but search me, know me. See if there's any grievous way in me. A lot of times when we are in this mode, because we're just trying to get through things, we take our own self-assessment of our heart and we just think that's reality. And we just do a quick look at our heart. So we say, oh, we're supposed to care for the poor. Do I care for the poor? Yeah, sure. All right, move on. It feels a little bit like when I look for things in the refrigerator, right? So if Lauren tells me something's in there and I open the refrigerator in zero, I'm so fast at looking, like quick. I can tell you immediately if that thing is in there or not. Now, I might be completely wrong, like, and it's, all, it's almost always not in there. Like, even if I'm looking right at it, it's not in there because I just look so quickly. I'm so convinced it's not in there. And we do that all the time when we're looking. If we're just searching our own hearts, we just look really quickly. I'm like, oh, no, oh, ship shape. Everything's good there. But the Holy Spirit knows you better. And if you ask him, he will dig. And he will reveal things. And he will use his word to do it. His word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of heart. That description right there only describes the word of God communicated through the spirit. Doesn't describe a devotional, doesn't describe a sermon, doesn't describe anything else. That is reserved for God's holy, inspired word delivered from spirit to spirit. And so, asking God, search me, sitting, just sitting, even if it's a couple of minutes of just quiet to just say, search me, show me if there's any grievous way in me. And then, yes, pray. 
And tell God, like, pour out your heart, all your petitions. Make your requests known to God. And listen to yourself as you pray. As you do this quiet time, even in this part, like when you're, it changes your prayer, listen to yourself. What does your prayer reveal about what's going on in your heart? So if you notice, there's a lot of listening to the Holy Spirit. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit before I even read the Bible. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit while I'm reading the Bible. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit after I'm done reading the Bible. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit even when I'm going through my prayer list. Because what I found in my life, this is just personal testimony. At one point I realized, do you realize like all, like this, this was like a thought that came to my mind and felt convicting. Everything you are praying for has to do with external circumstances. And I thought, well, that's not true. Let me look. Nope, everything's ship-shaped. But it wasn't. All of a sudden, I realized I'm not praying for heart transformation. I wasn't praying for heart transformation in me, in my family, in a church. And it was convicting. So listen to the Holy Spirit, even as you're praying things out. He will reveal all kinds of things to you. And he will shepherd you and help you know how to pray even better prayers and richer prayers that will stir your heart and feed you. How often am I praying for just external things? How often am I praying um, for reconciliation in a relationship and not sensing my conviction of of my own sin in, in, in that? I just pray and listen. And then finally, community piece. You might think, well, what does community have to do with quiet time? Well, your relationship with God is not just a one-on-one relationship. It's also in community together. Like it or not, your relationship with God is intimately linked with everybody else here around you. And sharing what God is doing in you through that time is an incredible thing. It, it, it does several things. It, it builds up the church, right? What God is teaching you during that time and how he's growing you might be a blessing to someone else that God is also teaching that same thing. It sets an example of what it looks like to pursue Jesus. I am forever thankful for the people in my life who consistently communed with God and modeled that really well. And it was not about a checklist for them, but they were spending time with Jesus and they modeled that for me. And it it set an example for me to pursue. It will spark exploration of the word together. You talk about the Bible together, then that's going to spark. Like you're going to say, well, man, I haven't thought about that. I'm going to dig into that too. And you read it together. It's one of my favorite things about being able to work on a team. Forever when I was a church planter, I was by myself. But one of the beauties of having a team is that I can just like come in the office and be like, all right, come on. Like Romans 9 and Romans 10, how are those back to back? And we can like wrestle through that together. You should read Romans 9 and Romans 10 and just marvel at the fact that those two chapters are back to back. It's awesome. It does all these incredible things. It gives accountability as you share what the Spirit is doing and convicting you of. And so then you can have someone praying for you and holding you accountable to what what you know God is calling you to do. All of it builds up the body together. And an interesting phenomenon in the church is that everyone wants deeper and richer Christ-centered friendships but no one knows how to develop them. And I often feel like a failure as a pastor, like when I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I help people develop those rich, deep relationships? And one of the easiest ways is to just get into the habit of asking one another, hey, what is, what's God doing in your heart right now? 
What's God teaching you? And let that become the normal conversation. More normal than the weather or the Packers or whatever. Let that become the norm. Like what if, what if that became normal? Like you think about it. Here's the thing. God has given us his word. He has given us his spirit. And it all matters because he's given us his son. That means every day, you and I, as Christ followers, get up as rebels against God who have been reconciled by the blood of the cross. And with God's very words at our fingertips, with his very spirit dwelling inside of us to live in power and with a very specific mission to go on given by his king, by the king. Like you would think that all of that would give us plenty to talk about outside of the weather. All of that would give us something to spark in one another. What would it look like? And all we have to do to experience that is change what's normal. We did that this year with communion. We thought about, like, how do we get people around the table? How do we experience that? And we just decided, like, well, why don't we just do it? And look, if you have felt that this is weird, know that you're not alone. When I tell other pastors about, like, what we're doing, they're like, really? That's interesting. I'm like, yeah, it is. But sometimes you just have to say, well, we're just going to change what's normal. This is normal. Getting around the table together and huddling around together and looking at one another and taking communion, that's normal. That's now normal in our church. And what if that became the way of like, as we're talking to one another, not in a guilt-inducing way of like, have you had all your quiet times this week? Not like that, but say, hey, what is God teaching you? And then rather, what, if it, what would it look like if instead of recommending like a certain book or a certain author all the time, like what if the bulk of our recommendations were, man, First Thessalonians is crazy. Revelation, like, man, we should, we should read in that. Like, what about, what about Isaiah? What is going on in Leviticus? I do not understand what is happening there at all. Like, all of these things, what if that became the new normal? That's all we have to do. Just decide together. That's normal. What if we considered how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So church, that's my hope. Let's make quiet times cool again. Make quiet times great again. Doesn't flow as well, I'm not gonna lie. But what if we did? Well, like all these people are like, oh, the quiet time, that's old and outdated. Like, no. Are you kidding me? Spending time with Jesus does not go out of style. And talking about it with one another does not go out of style. Like, it is incredible. And so I just want to encourage you. Let's do that together. Today's New Year's Day. Start today. Let me give you a practical tip. Make it consistent. Make it in the morning. Pick a particular place in the morning and do it. Build it in like brushing your teeth. Unless you're a teenager or a kid. Do it more often than you brush your teeth. But for most of us, do it at the start of your day. I push, the pushback I always get from people is I'm not a morning person. Neither am I. But let me tell you this. If your focus, everyone, people, when people say that, they're like, well, my brain's just not firing. Yes, and if your aim is to fully understand everything, then I might agree with you, but it's not. One of the sweetest bonding times with my kids 
was when they would crawl into my bed as toddlers when I'm half asleep and I don't even know what's going on and I'm just like, whatever, and then they just nuzzle in and fall back asleep. I don't have any idea what's going on. I'm not communicating to them any big theological truths, but I am with them. So I'm just encouraging you to do that at the start of the day, whether it's 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. It's worth it. Just pick a plan. Pick a spot. I would encourage you to pick a reading plan. There's lots of them out there. I'm doing a chronological one right now, which is trippy because I like started in Genesis and now I'm in Job all of a sudden after like a few chapters of Genesis. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and just is kind of, it's, it's just different. But pick it. Pick, if you're new to reading the Bible, just pick a New Testament reading plan and just read through that. Just have that consistency and then ask someone to do it with you. Say, hey, I want to I wanna try this. Would you, would you just connect with me over that? Would you hold me accountable to that? Can we, can we just check in with each other on a daily basis to just see how that's going? And then when you fail, and when you don't do it one day, then remember this. Jesus Christ died for you so that you would be reconciled to God. That relationship is there and it is secured by him, not by your meeting his appointment schedule every day. And just as surely as if when my kids were little, if they didn't come and climb into bed with me one day, if they did the next day, I would just welcome them right in again. He does the same thing for us. He is a good and gracious father. He wants you to receive this gift every day. And when you miss, he has another gift for you tomorrow. So encourage one another. And let's change what normal looks like and see what God does with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, how just, it's just beyond understanding what we have at our fingertips. The fact that you want us to come to you. God, your, your word tells us, like we are, we are to approach the throne of God, the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, that you tell us to make our request known to you, to cry out to you, that you desire to commune with us. What a gift, God, that it is that that what you desire for us is to abide in Jesus, to commune with him, knowing that out of that flows so many things. Out of that will flow wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. To know that we give understanding in the Spirit. To know that we receive confidence in your word, confidence in what you are doing and who you are. That it blesses us as we are on mission together and sharing with one another about all the incredible things that you are doing. God, forgive us for taking that for granted and also, God, forgive us for trying to justify ourselves through our own guilt trips and listening to the enemy. God, let us hear your voice. Your voice is the one that says, come to me, all who are heavy and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls.
You are the father and the prodigal son that runs out to meet his son and throws a feast and a banquet. So Lord, let us not take for granted the incredible gift of being with you and feeling your presence. Help us to do that. Help us to make that normal. Help us to do that and receive all the blessings you have for us this year and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.